0: Thanks for joining me here on conversations for yoga teachers i'm your host karen fabian the founder of bare bones yoga i'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience a certified personal trainer and an entrepreneur my mission is this to help you develop into a purpose-driven confident yoga teacher one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact on the podcast here you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning stories from teachers interviews with others in the field and a dose of personal development for more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs see my website barebonesyoga.com Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 207. So, I am recording this on a very special day. It is Thursday, September 29th, and it's my birthday. I mentioned that in last week's podcast episode, and here it is. I record on Thursdays, they post on Mondays, and it's my actual birthday. And I'm having a really, really good day. And I want to thank Those of you who have sent me little birthday wishes on Instagram or Facebook or email, I really appreciate it. And I'm feeling really great. I posted today a picture and I said, 58 and feeling great. And that's really, really true. (laughs) Um, You know, it's sort of taken me some time to get to the place I'm at, just in terms of just my comfort level with myself. It's been a road, it's been a process. And it will definitely continue to be. And so I wanted to start out today's episode with just a couple of thoughts about not so much birthdays, but just about living life. Because I know that you're probably, you know, similar in some ways. When you have a birthday, it's an opportunity to reflect. We sort of can't avoid it. And I've definitely had some birthdays in my life where I've been in a bit of a slump or there's just been different things happening. Certainly when I had a birthday during the pandemic, as all of us did, there were many different feelings I was having that particular September. Um, And this year I have just a a couple of things that I wanted to share with you that really have, they have for me to do with the fact that it's my birthday. However, they're just themes that I thought would be interesting to share that we can all contemplate applying to our lives at any point in time. You know, I think when you have a birthday, I know for myself, now that I am 58, I have a birthday. And I the first thing I think about is literally my age. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, oh my God, when I was a teenager, I thought 58 was like a hundred. Like, if someone had said to me when I was 15, what do you think about somebody who's 58? I'd probably think, oh my God, that person is unable to walk, is, you know, really, really old and doesn't get out of the house. You know, of course my perception of 58 is very different Being 58. And it's not so much literally the number, it's just in my fifties. And I can remember when I was in my forties, being in my fifties, didn't sound like something I'd want to do. And now I just feel so vibrant and so healthy and so great and so comfortable with who I am that it sort of makes no difference to me what the actual number is. And part of the reason for that, and this is something that I've I've had to get sort of comfortable with, and I'm still, this is probably one of the things that I still wanna work on more, getting more, more comfortable with the idea that I still have a lot of time. You know, I think, God forbid, uh, you know, in the absence of sickness or injury or accident, I will live another 50 years. And so when I think about that, I think, even if it's 40 years, That's still a shitload of time. (laughs) And so, you know, one of the things on a personal level that I really want to do is travel. I want to go to Italy. I want to go to London. I want to go to the English countryside. I want to go to Paris. I've been to London and Paris in the past, but not in a very long time. I want to go to the Italian countryside, but I also want to go to Venice and Rome. I want to go to Greece. Um, those are the places on like my hot, hot list. And then there's a whole bunch of places in the United States I wanna go. I wanna go to Montana. I wanna go to Napa Valley. I want to go to Sedona. You know, there's just so much travel I wanna do. I honestly feel like I could take 12 months off and just travel, but I it's not super practical. And I don't really think I've, I'm sort of built for that. And so some days I feel really anxious. Like when I was watching the Queen's funeral, Rest in peace. Um, I thought, oh, God, I just want to get on a plane tomorrow. Boston now has a direct flight from Boston to London. I just want to go to London. I'm feeling this pressure. And I think that, you know, those are some of my dreams. (laughs) You know, I have a manifestation list. And one of the items is all the places I want to travel. You have your dreams. I have my dreams. And I think that sometimes we can get wrapped up in this idea that we don't have a lot of time or we don't have enough time. And especially as we get into our 50s, I know some of you listening are probably in your 50s, you might start to think like I'm running out of time. You know, those of you that are trying to, um, you know, maybe change your course. Maybe you want to teach full time and you're working full time, or maybe you've just started your teaching journey and you're looking ahead. And there's all these different things you want to do. And you might think, whatever your literal age is, you might think, uh, I don't even have enough time. So I, I just, for me personally, one of the things that I want to do better is be more comfortable with this concept of I have time. Now, having said that, there's a way to make time work for you, at least in my mind there is, and there's a way to make time work against you. And it all has to do with habits. Habits, habits, habits. Go by James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Actually, I think I, I wanna read that again. Without good habits, time is the enemy. Because then you're constantly thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe it's the end of the week and I didn't get X, Y, and Z done. Or, oh, my God, it's the end of the month and I didn't save the money I wanted to save. Or, oh, my God, it's the end of the month and I'm still feeling, you know, really just total discontent around my teaching and feeling really uncomfortable. And why didn't I sign up for that program? Or why am I not, you know, looking for that mentor so I can have those one-on-one coaching calls and really resolve these feelings that I'm having about teaching so that I can be a more impactful, joyful teacher earning what they're worth, but I'm never doing, you know, why am I never doing those things? And time is just slipping by. So whatever it is that you want to do, The habits are what will create the momentum so you can do it. And I live this. I live this as part of me. I have so many habits that are not obsessive compulsive habits. They are habits that are grounded in things I want to do. I'll give you one for instance, and this may apply to you as an area of your life that you want to tidy up and that's around money. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about money, and that's one area of my life where I've worked really hard to drop a lot of my self-limiting beliefs. I grew up in a family where my father is really, really good with money, and he really instilled in me um, a lot of thoughts and you know, just habits around money. And so in the beginning, as I was growing up, I had really good habits around money. And then I got really fearful about money. And a lot of that was tied to the fact that I left a six-figure job back in 2002 to teach yoga full-time and my income immediately dropped like significantly. (laughs) And then I built up all this debt. You know, I wrote about in my first book, Stretched, how I built up, I think it was like $30,000 of debt teaching full time for someone else. And it really took a total overhaul of how I was approaching the business of teaching to get myself out of debt, to build my own brand and to build something that's more sustainable. And that's what I have today. And so through that process, I developed all these hangups about money, all these self-limiting beliefs about money. I built up a lot of debt. And it took a lot of time to get out of that. And and so, you know, as a result, over that period of time, I developed some bad habits about money. And even within the past five years or so, even though a lot of that's been resolved and I've worked really hard uh, around that myself with mentors and coaches and and that and and an entrepreneurial program I'm in, I really have up-leveled. My attention to detail with my money uh, within the past six months. I actually have a money journal. And so every Monday, I sit down at my desk, which I have a separate desk for work and a separate desk for bill paying. And uh, it just so happens I have space where I have a different room. So anyway, (laughs) I now have a money journal. And I would highly recommend that you have one of these. And it's basically every week. Uh, On Monday, I start a fresh page, I date it, I write, uh, I make a list of bills that need to be paid that week, I make a list of incoming revenue I'm expecting, I make a list of business goals that I'm working to achieve that week, Uh, I make a list of any ad hoc things that need to be tended to. And so this keeps me on track and builds this familiarity with my money and then <clears throat> in my weekly report which i write every single week <clears throat> this is another habit that i have that i would highly recommend that you have <clears throat> i write a weekly report i've done it every single week without fail for the past like 13 years and i started doing it when i went into business for myself so if you've read my first book stretched you know the story about how i used to work for somebody else uh, i taught for that studio system, then I left that because I was in all this debt. It wasn't a scenario that was working for me financially. I went back to my corporate job for a couple of years and taught part-time, might not have even been a couple of years, might've been shorter than that. And then I re-emerged as a full-time yoga teacher as my own brand. And when I did that re-emerging, that was like two thousand nine. I started writing weekly reports every week to my parents because who else am I going to send it to? And every week I would write them a weekly report and I would give them an update on projects I was working on, revenue expenses, all sorts of different data points. And then over the years, my goodness, like did they really want to keep getting that? Probably not. They would have never said, stop sending it. So I just sort of stopped sending it, but I kept doing it. And so every Sunday I write a weekly report. So I know what am I working on? What are the projects? What are the due dates? What did I resolve? What new business came in? What are my business goals? What are my revenue? What are my expenses? And at the very end of that report, I track my net worth. So I track my overall. Um, I track all my all my assets. So in you know investment portfolio things like that. I don't own property, so I don't have anything like that. And then I track whatever debt I have. So I have card debt, I have some credit card debt and that's it. And then I subtract. So I know on a weekly basis, what is my net worth? And that's just to have a sense of like, you know, not so much from a personal worth level but just getting comfortable with money. Getting comfortable with money. Um, so habits you know, habits around personal fitness, habits around personal health and wellness, meditation, um, tarot card reading, yoga nidra, you know, these are all things, myofascial release, all things that are just ingrained in my life, nutrition. I have like overhauled my nutrition 15 fold in the past five years or so. Um, I won't go into all the details, but and it's all science based. Like I'm not doing any kind of funky stuff. I think probably the funkiest thing I do is I sometimes put collagen powder in my drink, which hello, there's no evidence that collagen is helping us from a bone density perspective. But I don't know. I just, I just have a thing of it that I just am waiting to run out of. And when I run out of it, I won't bite again. Um, but all science-back stuff. <clears throat> and you know, gratitude. I have a gratitude chart. Putting little slips of paper in that jar for a couple of years now, whenever something good happens that I'm grateful for, I put a little slip of paper, I write down what it is. I write the date, put it in there. An accomplishments jar, writing out an accomplishment, date it, put it in there. So these are all habits. Like What habits do you have that are supporting your growth? What habits do you have that as you hit your birthdays, you can look back and feel good and feel positive and love being yourself? Like, these are all the things that I really feel shore us up as individuals and make no mistake about it. When you shore yourself up as an individual, you shore yourself up as a yoga teacher. It's not like you're going to walk into the studio and automatically be a different person. Just like your students, they're not going to walk into the studio and have some magic fairy dust sprinkled on their heads that makes all their aches and pains and stiffness go away. They're going to show up on the mat exactly as they are before they walked into that studio, and so are you. So, the work that you do off the mat as a yoga teacher informs who you are and how you are and how you show up for your students and how you feel when you teach. I spend a lot of time talking to teachers about how they feel when they teach. And you know, it's it's kind of interesting, there's a balance between how we feel when we teach and the techniques of effective teaching. And you can't say that one goes without the other, they work together. I can have the best technical acumen as a teacher but have tons of self-limiting beliefs and my, experiences, my experience of teaching will suck. And by the same token, I can have great positive feelings and feelings of self-worth and self-value and not a lot of self-limiting beliefs, not have a lot of technical skills as a teacher and just freaking rock it when I go in there and teach. Because quite honestly, <laughs> Without those skills, you can sort of get by if you're really in your power as a person, in your authentic way as a person. I can remember when I went to one of my first teacher trainings, there was a teacher, uh, and I say teacher, we were all brand new. Uh, There was a person, right? We were all there as new teachers, and we did practice teaching, and this person got up and was practice teaching. And she had such a great attitude about herself and such a lightness to approaching her practice teaching. And I know when I practice taught, I was a freaking wreck. I needed it to be perfect. I was all up in my own skin. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe people are looking at me. I had tons of hangups. This was 15 years ago. It was a nightmare for me. And so when I watched this person, I mean, I didn't watch her because I was practicing, she was practice teaching us, but as I was on the mat moving around and I was experiencing her joy, her freedom, her, her complete way of authentically embracing who she was as she was teaching, I was freaking stunned. I had such admiration for this person, like, oh my God, how does she have the nerve? How does she like not in a bad way. Like, how is she not nervous? How is she? Not? And I remember at one point she made a really obvious mistake. I can't even remember what it was now, but she just goes to show you, your students will not remember either, but, um, she made an obvious mistake and she laughed at herself and we all laughed too. And it was like the ice breaking, There was no nervousness on our part, like, oh my God, this person's new and we're nervous for them. You know, like when you go take a class and the teacher's obviously new and they're so up in their head that you feel as a student, like nervous for them. And now you're all all up in their experience. This was totally different. She was so comfortable with her newness that she laughed at her mistakes and kept it light and we laughed too. And then all of a sudden it was this sense of community, like we were all there supporting each other. And she created that environment. She gave us all permission to be ourselves on the mat. And that, in that experience, you know, I I sort of hesitate to frame it this way, but she had power as a teacher, not power over us, but she empowered herself and she empowered us. And that was a magical moment that I remember today. And that literally was in 2002. So that's what I mean about the feelings you have as a teacher are so much of your experience. And the longer you delay seeing them clearly, working through them, the longer you'll delay your inevitable success as a yoga teacher, whatever you define success to be. And it's really, really hard to get at these issues by yourself because you just sort of circle the drain and just have your own internal id and ego and all of those, remember those psychology terms? Like You can't really think yourself out of something like this. You need a coach, you need a mentor to be that objective sounding board. And so that's what I love about working with teachers. I love being that objective sounding board so that they can start to see another way for whatever the issue is. So, you know, things like habit building really come to the forefront for me on a day like today, my birthday. Being grateful. I talked about that. Building good habits. Living healthy. The other thing is knowing your values. What are your values? What do you value? What do you value in your life? What do you value about who you are as a person? What are the values that you won't compromise? You know, when you know what the lines in the sand are for you, it's no big deal when you have to, you know, kind of uphold your value. And so you could have values on family, values around health, values around, you know, so many different things. And it's just a matter of knowing what they are, living them and upholding them. And um you know, that's just another aspect that of life that comes to mind for me on a day where I'm feeling particularly, you know, thoughtful because, because it's my birthday. So those are the different things I wanted to touch on, um, you know, to start out our conversation today. The next thing I wanted to talk about, I have two more topics. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, and this is going to touch on something that came up in a coaching call that I had with, one of the teachers who enrolled in my program. And if this person is listening to this episode, it's going to be probably clear, um, you know, what this is about. And I'm not obviously going to share any names and it's all going to be very kind of, you um, it could, it could be something that could apply to anybody. And in fact, I have heard this from other teachers. So even if you're out there and you're hearing this, I want to number one, acknowledge you as a teacher for sharing this with me. And number two, as you listen to this, even if you're not the person that shared this with me in our coaching call, if you have feelings like this and you're beginning to, um, to recognize them, it takes courage to do this. And so that's part of, and it takes insight. Um, And so I wanna acknowledge you as well. So the idea, I want you to sort of imagine, imagine you're teaching a class, I'll give you a scenario and that'll lead us into the discussion. Imagine you're teaching a class and you look out there into the room and there's, I don't know, let's say there's 20 people and you notice a couple of people are are not in alignment. Their poses are kind of, you know, all over the place. Maybe you chatted with them before class and you know that they're beginners. Maybe you've never seen them in your class before. So you assume they're beginners. Maybe you just watch how they move on the mat and you're guessing they're beginners. Or maybe it's an elderly person. I can remember one time I had a person in my class who was clearly, clearly in their seventies or eighties surrounded by people Definitely under the age of fifty, and so you know you have that. That person is not going to show up on the mat the same way as someone who's younger, someone who's experienced in yoga. So whatever whatever the details are, just imagine you're teaching the class. You look out there in the room, and you've got whatever avatar comes to mind. Maybe you've got the older person. You've got a couple people who are beginners. You have people who are clearly. Um, God, what's the way to frame this? It's not about not doing it right or not doing it perfect. And it's not even about struggling because struggling implies a certain certain experience that I don't want to go down that road because I don't want to label the person's experience because as a teacher, I am not that person. So I don't know what that person's experience is. I may say, as I look at that person, oh, that person is struggling on the mat. But they may not think they're struggling on the mat. They may think this is fucking awesome. I'm having an awesome time. So that's what I mean. And that's the topic I want to get into because as you look out and notice these students, and this relates to what we were just talking about feelings when we were talking when I brought up the topic of how you feel as a teacher. How does that make you feel? Or how do you feel? It doesn't make you feel this way. How do you feel when you're teaching a class and there's a handful of students who are, you know, kind of, you know, I don't even want to say not keeping up they're, they're out of alignment, their poses look different. Um, You know, they may be moving on the mat in a way that's different, not because they're intentionally changing the sequence, they're just, you know, maybe a new student. Because one of the things and, and I have absolutely felt this way, that feeling of, oh, God, like, all of a sudden now all my attention is on that person. That feeling of, I wanna help that person, that perception that that student is struggling, which as I just said, is totally my labeling that person's experience. I don't know that that is how that person feels. That feeling like I want to help that person, you know, that that shift in me as a teacher that all of a sudden I'm now like sort of hyper-focused on that person, sort of to the detriment of everybody else in the class. And so this gets us into a topic that really has to do with, you know, defining our role and our boundaries as a teacher. And there's different ways we can look at this. We can look at professional boundaries. So things like, do you hang out with your students? What do you talk to your students about? Both before and after class, do you get into their personal problems or do you just say hi? You know, there's all different things that have to do with professional boundaries. In this capacity though, I'm talking about what are the boundaries that you have as a teacher that sort of define, and I, you know, dare I even say that clearly define what you are responsible for what you sort of have control over and what you don't. And in a way, you know, another way I can say it is how comfortable are you with mess? Like how comfortable when you look out into the room and you see all these bodies moving and yeah, you see a couple of people are sort of out of alignment. Their poses aren't, you know, kind of quote unquote, perfect. How comfortable are you with that? Are you able to toss out a couple of modifications in general to the room? And if those people take the modifications and do it, like put the knee down in crescent versus falling out of crescent, if they don't take that modification, is that a big deal for you? Or can you just sort of be okay with the mess? I can certainly say for myself as a perfectionist, as a type A person, I, in the beginning of my teaching Career was not comfortable with the mess. I really went to those students. I was really on those students. I really wanted to help those students. In fact, I was trained to go after those students. In fact, I can remember we were trained if somebody left the room, you go get them and have them come back in, which at this point, other than peeking my head out the door to make sure they weren't going to pass out, I would never, never ask somebody to come back in again. If they want to leave, they have agency over whether they want to stay or go. So this is what I mean about, you know, what, what are the boundaries and this other idea of what's our role and responsibility as a teacher? Because if we take on, <laughs> if we take on the experience of the student, how they do the poses, are the poses all in alignment? Are they you know, poses that sort of fit the box of what we think they should look like. When we take all that on, it's like having a backpack and every one of those things is a five pound weight. And then all of a sudden what's happening, you're going in to teach your class and you're wearing a backpack with 20 extra pounds of weight. So I want you to imagine if this is hitting home for you, imagine taking off that backpack. Oh my God, no more extra weight. Now, imagine yourself going in the room, teaching your class, seeing those students, throwing out a couple of modifications, and then just letting it be, just letting it be, just letting it be however it is and having that be okay without a worry that they're gonna hurt themselves, without a worry that they're not gonna like it, without a worry that they're gonna think it's too hard, without a worry that you need to add more modifications, right? Because all of that sort of makes it about you, even though the intention behind it is totally pure and good and coming from a place of being of service. But it's taking on so much that you don't really have control over. You can only do so much as a teacher. So I would love to know if this resonates with you. So send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know if there's any element of this that hit home for you and what it was. And I would just encourage you, if this did hit home for you, to examine, because this relates to what I was just talking about earlier, what is it about who you are and how you are that relates to this type of teaching behavior? What is it about you? Right? Because if this is the way you are as a teacher, let's now look at you in your life and see what ways is this showing up when you're just living your life? Are you perfectionist? Are you really sort of on top of the other people that live in your house? to so like do it this way, do it the right way. I can certainly say I'm sort of like that. I mean, Ben and I are the only ones here. We don't have kids. And there are a lot of ways that I like things to be done around here because I do a lot of the running of the house. And so I have a lot of systems, no surprise there. And he sort of tolerates it, but it's probably not something he would do if I wasn't in his life. So I sometimes have to remind myself, Karen, he's off. (laughs) He's off, right? So again, These are things that I bring into the studio when I teach. And I need to remind myself, it's okay, right? Let people be, let people be. And it's always so interesting to me. It sort of reminds me of if you have that experience like I've had where you teach class and you feel like, oh God, that class wasn't that good. And then as people are leaving class, somebody you're standing by the, by the door And somebody walks out of the room and they go, thank you so much for class. That was amazing. And you're just standing there thinking, are you kidding me? That was an awful class. Like you're in your head and here's this person with a totally different perspective. And that's because our experience is not their experience. But I know that sometimes when you're teaching, you swear that you know what their experience is, right? It's like you swear and it's so not true. And that's why that headspace and where you are in your head when you teach is so important and shifting our perspective. And this is what goes back to what I was saying before about working with a coach. Shifting your perspective can be so life-changing for you as a yoga teacher because it relieves you of that backpack. It relieves you of those fears. It relieves you of those pressures. And now it's like, The path to self actualization. Now you're teaching from freedom, from authenticity, from presence, which is a very different experience for you. And it's kind of like when you're on a plane and they say, put your oxygen mask on first before you're going to help someone else. If you're going to go in to teach your class and you have no backpack with imaginary weights and you're free and you're authentic and you're in your true power as a person, you can help your students much better than the opposite scenario. So I would love to know what you think about this topic. Uh, Send me an email, send me a DM and let me know. So the last piece I wanted to share today uh, is about theming your classes. Last week's episode, we talked a little bit about, or I talked a little bit about uh, sequences. And one of the things that I, I think I neglected to mention in that episode, although I have mentioned it is in other episodes, is one of the, one of the principles, it's not really a principle, but one of the approaches that I always suggest to teachers, along with really avoiding teaching from your own practice and just standing there and cueing people, along with that is to really just teach a standard sequence and to have your standard sequence be the fundamental sequence that you teach, especially for the first couple of years, so that you can really get to know it well and not have to worry so much about what's coming next in the sequence, not have to bring in notes and all those sorts of things. And by the same token, I know that from talking to teachers, you know, so many times teachers will get hung up about teaching a standard sequence because they'll feel like it locks them into the same thing over and over again. So today I wanted to just bring up a couple of different themes that you can use with a similar sequence that don't necessarily have to do with alignment or anatomy, um they have more to do with just a a theme for the class that you can use and these themes are really agnostic you know meaning they can be applied to any sequence so this is the sort of thing where you could have a similar sequence from class to class and simply change the theme and it can really take on a very different feel i go into this a little bit in my second book i think i go into this instruction spirit so, the first theme is foundation. You could take any sequence you want and decide when you go into the class, I'm going to focus on foundation in today's class and have that be what you focus on from for just about all of your cues. So, whatever is at the floor. So obviously, this really applies to the standing postures. It definitely can apply to all postures though, on the belly, on the back, on, uh, you know, uh, on the feet, obviously up uh yeah on the back (laughs) certainly if they're going to go upside down foundation is definitely a big theme because they they want to be steady so foundation having a theme of foundation could mean speaking to the feet it could mean speaking literally to what is at the floor it could have to do with one of my favorite concepts that i coined which is uh, wider is steadier narrower is not wider is steady or narrower is not. So you could look for different poses where you can create more space at the base, like not chair feet together, chair hip width apart, not Tadasana feet together, Tadasana hip width apart, crescent lunge hip width apart, uh, triangle pose hip width apart. You can use foundation as a fundamental theme, which sort of does speak to the anatomy, right? Um, it also though is a really good theme from a personal development standpoint, because if we don't have good foundation in our life, then there's a lot of different things that can happen that aren't great. (laughs) So you can weave foundation into your cueing in a way that speaks to the physicality of the practice. And you can also weave in some different themes that just speak to us as humans and how Good foundation, building a good foundation is just a great way to live your life. And what does that look like? You know, and I, I don't really get into a lot of coachy type languaging when I teach. Um, although there are some ways that you can kind of drop in a couple of little ideas uh, around foundation without kind of being overbearing. So foundation is one. Another, um, Another really good one is breath. You know, I I don't cue a lot to the breath and I've talked about that before uh, on other episodes because I like to kind of use the limited amount of time that I have from pose to pose to give people what I want them to do, like action steps. Occasionally I cue to the breath, but I'm definitely not one of those people that's always like inhale lift the leg, exhale step forward. And in fact, with all the teachers that I work with in my program, the blueprint learning program, I sort of have to untangle them from that habit because it's so getting in the way of them cueing clearly, cueing effectively, giving people action cues. And um, so that is something that I work with teachers to sort of unlearn. And I'm sort of finding, and I have been finding for years, that it's something that is very prevalent out there. Teachers are really being trained to cue to the breath nonstop. And... um, I don't know, that's probably a different conversation. I would say if you want to use breath as a theme, there's lots of different ways you can do it and lots of creative ways you can do it without having to be constantly talking about the breath. And think about it, sometimes something you hear so much, it just becomes not as effective because as a student, you're just hearing it so much rather than being really intentional as a teacher about speaking to the breath in specific ways. So certainly when people first come into class, you could start them laying on the back, you could take them through a couple of breathing exercises as a way to get grounded. Certainly in restorative poses, focusing on the breath. Throughout the sequence, looking for these little pockets of time where you can cue to the breath as a way to build awareness about where the students are at in in their body. So breath would be another theme. Another theme that you could um, use is just slower uh, pace and longer holds. So that's a general theme. It sort of speaks for itself, Um, especially if you're a teacher that teaches at a fast clip, like a power yoga, vinyasa type style. What would it be like to slow things down for both you and your students? What... um, what would it be like to hold these poses longer? It would certainly give you more time as a teacher to cue. So think about warrior two, when you hold somebody for six or seven breaths versus warrior two, when they're there for two breaths. So that's another theme. Um, Another one is presence. Just using a lot of inquiry questions to keep your students present. How do you feel in this pose? What are you noticing here? Can you widen your feet? How does it feel to have better foundation? Like I always find that when you give cues in the shape of a question, in the form of a question, it really helps students stay present because you'll even notice in their postures and you'll notice in just the way they carry themselves on the mat, that they are more attentive because it's just natural. You know, when you're on the yoga mat, if someone says, how do you, how do you feel in this pose? You're going to answer in your head (laughs) versus kind of the dreaded. I I never enjoy when people say you should be feeling your hamstrings lengthened here. Like that to me is just so like, you're just suggesting I feel a certain way. And I I don't really appreciate that. So I would very much discourage you from telling people what they should feel. I hear that a lot in fitness type videos I've been doing. I think that's more of like a personal training thing, you know, kind of coming from the perspective of, I know how the body is built, so you should be feeling this because your leg is long and therefore your hamstrings are lengthening. Yeah, well, what about the person with extra long hamstrings who's hypermobile? They're probably not gonna feel it as super duper great feeling of lengthening. (laughs) So again, you know, just asking inquiry questions, keeping presence uh, at the forefront of everybody's mind. You, you may know, or you will know your theme is presence. They may not know that, but they may feel like, wow, in that class, I was just so present the whole time because your questions were keeping them alert and awake and there rather than kind of going off in their head thinking about all sorts of different things that they're going to do when they leave class. So these are just some different things that you can focus on or things that you can, themes that you can use for your classes that will give you some variation, even if the actual postures they're doing are pretty much the same from class to class. And this is what allows your students to really grow on the mat because you're giving them, by addressing these other themes or integrating these themes into your teaching, you're giving them opportunities to explore, to grow, to learn new things about themselves, to shift their way of being, to learn different techniques that maybe they wanna integrate into other areas of their life, especially when you look at things like breath breathing techniques, pranayama, focus, attention, presence. I mean, these are all great skills we want to have in life, not just on the mat. So teaching them in your classes is a springboard for your students to um, use them to to improve their life. And that means you're, you're growing your impact beyond just the transactional interaction you have with them in that class to other things off the mat as well, other things they do in their life. And they'll think like, oh yeah, I was in that class with so-and-so and you know, now I'm in the grocery store and it's really, really crowded. I'm gonna do that breathing exercise that we did in yoga last night. I mean, that's, that's such a great impact, you know, illustration of the impact you're having on your students when they think of things off the mat that come from your classes. So with that, I will be wrapping up this episode. I hope that you have enjoyed this. This has been a fun one for me. It's it's only five o'clock here. So I still have more time for my birthday. So I'm in really good spirits. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, I appreciate you being part of this community of listeners, uh, listening to the show. I always love to hear what you think. So please don't be shy. Send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email. Let me know what you thought of this episode, and I will talk to you on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Thanks so much for listening, and namaste. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode, and thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop, workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page and it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things or you have maybe a half an hour or 45 minutes that you want to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. and. All of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at barebonesyoga.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.